So you get a competitive edge compared to your competitors who might be still focusing on completion of tasks quickly. That is another way of saying go slow, but go first time right. And that's the speed you're going to gain in the long run, which is going to stay with you forever. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hi, and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. It's Rick Nusky here. I hope you're doing wonderfully well. It is going to be a great call today because I'm on the line with Mr. or actually Dr. Rama Kayatri. Welcome to the show, Doctor. Thank you so much, Rick. It's my pleasure to be at your show. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Now, just for some context, um, Dr. Archery is the founder of a uh, research forum, Expert X. He's a, a leader in a Fortune 500 company. He's a performance scientist. He's a speaker. He's also a prolific author. And we're going to be talking about his latest book, um, Speed Matters, along with many other topics on today's show. But um, with all that being said, I always like to start by learning a little bit about my guests. I'm wondering if we can learn a bit, little bit about uh, maybe where you live. Yeah, Rick. Uh, I live in Singapore right now. I'm settled here with my family. Now, but otherwise, I was born in India. Um, but before coming to Singapore, I have been to many places. And uh, it has been a, quite a journey for me. So right now in Singapore, I uh, manage a training center for a Fortune 500 company. And I love this place. Yeah, I can I can see why, uh, given the bio that I've read through and all your information and your website, why you have such a passion for this and why you created Speed Matters makes a lot of sense. We're going to um, unpack much of that throughout today's call. But um, before we do that, um, a little bit more about you. Do you have any um, sports or, or hobbies? Uh, I used to play chess when I was young, but lately I haven't really gotten anything. Uh, just to give the context that uh, physically I am disabled. Right. I can't walk uh, because I got uh, polio when I was six months old. So it has taken away a lot of my physical part of the body. So mm-hmm. all I work now <laughs> and I have worked in my life earlier is uh, using brain power. So that's why you see I'm a little bit more passionate and uh, in, in learning. Yeah. And that's my main field. Yeah, no, <laughs> you I can say that's my sports. Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, I also know that uh, you love movies. What's your most favorite movie? My movies are a little bit more on a sci-fi side, and I have been a great fan of classics, uh, Back to the Future uh, kind of series I used to love when I was young, but uh, more uh, lately and uh, recently, you know, the more was uh, James Cameron in arts making, uh, you know, Avatar and those series, I love those. <laughs> yeah, I know that they're bringing out a new Avatar soon, that should be very exciting. Have you yeah, heard about I'm that? Yeah, i for that. Yeah. yeah, I heard that. I saw some clip, uh, clips of what, uh, what he shot underwater, yeah. and those were fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I remember going to the cinemas and watching it in 3D. I, I was blown away. Have you ever watched a 3D movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was outstanding. You know, when I was uh, young, I used to say that, uh, you know, if nothing else, I would want to become a movie director, and I wanted to combine engineering and, uh, you know, movie art together. And I think James Cameron is the guy um, could have been my ideal back in those days. Yeah, well, speaking of mentors and people that you look to, um, when you were growing up, did you have somebody who um, stuck out for you that helped you become the man that you are today? Um. Good question, Rick. 
But unfortunately, I lived in a place where their people were not educated. There were not uh, many medical or educational facilities. And uh, we were living in a remote area of India and uh, nothing was accessible. Unfortunately, I never had any guidance or mentorship in my early days. Uh, even in the later phases of my life, it was all about me, what I was experimenting. And uh, that was the main reason why I kind of set up this ExpertX forum where I want to be able to provide mentorship and guidance to people because that was the main thing which lacked in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been to a lot of places around the world and I've seen that uh, I guess a lot of the countries where there's not many opportunities to get mentorship or there's no infrastructure, they seem to be the happiest people. Why is that? <laughs> I think it's not about happiness, it's more of a sense of achievement, I would say, Rick, because when you don't have any kind of support, mentorship, you need to figure out your own ways. You, you know that it's your race at that point of time. And you figure out the technique, you figure out the strategy, you figure out the method. And what happens is part of that when you also achieve something. But at the same time, you have kind of figured out some wisdom which you can share with the rest of the people. And that builds your network, that builds your community. I think that's where that happiness is grounded. Yes, thank you for the feedback. I mean, having polio is a challenge in, in itself. Um, how do you think that's, um, I guess, uh, contributed to um, the things that you're doing nowadays? Has it been a barrier or has it been enlightening um, for you to, to go through that experience? I think in the beginning it was a barrier because uh, it happened to me when I didn't even know what it is. So I basically lost my ability to walk well before the age of uh, learning to walk. So essentially you can say I was born like this. That's yeah. how I knew myself. Um, so in the beginning, it, I didn't know what it was, but then when I started comparing with the rest of the kids and then I figured that, okay, I have uh, something which is lacking. So in the beginning year, in the early years, uh, it was a hindrance for me because I felt bad about this. But uh, later on, uh, when I figured that, you know, uh, okay, whatever it is, it is, it's going to be, it's going to stay there with me It's part of my personality. So what's the thing I can really do better? So that's where I kind of realized that uh, my immobility possibly can give me the distraction free time. I can sit and I can focus, I can read books. Uh, and that's where my journey to read books uh, and learn of my own started. And very soon, I think I started loving uh, reading and learning so much that that became my mainstream. And that's perhaps the reason that where I kind of stretched my own boundaries, I started experimenting on myself because uh, I thought, you know, that could be my X factor. That's what's going to keep me ahead of others because yeah. comparison is inevitable when you are young. Uh, you compare, people compare uh, you with other people. So that's part, part of the equation. So I think out of that equation, I begin to learn better. Yeah. And also at the same time, I want, wanted to see, can I learn faster than others? Because that gave me an edge to learn ahead of my age and to make my own place, uh, you know, in my, my social network. So I think it helped me yeah. that immobility, who I am today, it is a lot more contributor to what happened to me in childhood. 
I know that we have a lot of people on the show that get um, get some inspiration from our guests, and I, I I suspect that you will be no different in this regard. Do you have people that um, turn to you, you know, when they're down or they have their own challenges, to look to you for um, inspiration, for uplifting moments, some words of inspiration? Ah, uh, yes, uh, I do. In fact, uh, I have been always told that my story is so inspiring or motivating. Um, but my message to people have been that, you know, I have my own struggles. I mean, I, it has been a difficult journey for me. I can't be your motivation or inspiration anyhow. What you can learn from me is how I clarify my own path, how I gain that clarity. Learn that technique because that technique is transferable. Learn that and then move forward in your life. There is no point uh, getting the inspiration because inspiration is very short-lived. Any kind of motivation we get, uh, it basically buzzes off very soon, depending yeah. on your circumstances. But clarity is something that stays with you forever, and that gives you the fuel to move forward. So, yeah, people come to me, and all the thing I help them is to gain that clarity, who you are, what you're meant to be, and how you should move forward, or which direction you should move forward. That's wonderful feedback. Now, I know you, you've touched on books and your love of books. When you first started reading, what was a book that you can remember fondly? Yeah, this might be quite surprising. The first book I ever read in my life was Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence oh, wow. People. Oh, wow. What a classic. Uh, yeah, so interesting. It's interesting because I read uh, this book at the age when kids typically read comics, <laughs> but I was reading this book, and I think that made the difference, whole difference, because oh, yeah. that's that that was the way to you know understand the life and stay ahead. Uh, and uh, when you start with these kind of classic, your life take a different turn. So I was glad to have that kind of book at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, uh, what other classics have you read? Um, and uh, Think and Grow Rich and those types, have you read those? Yeah. Uh, I have read uh, quite many books. I mean, in fact, my beginning early years all started with Dale Carnegie. In fact, once I started reading Dale Carnegie, I read all of his books including the public speaking and don't uh, how to stop worrying and everything and those are fantastic and then i begin reading the books about something like that don't say yes when you want to say no so it's a little bit more on an assertive side yep but uh, lately uh, you know when when i came into the professional world i have been fond of uh, reading jim collins books because uh, his books are grounded in research particularly yep. the books like uh, good to great it tells oh, yes. you as an organization, as a company, how are you going to, you know, take an average company to a great company? What kind of things needs to happen? So um, that was fantastic. So those are the kind of books I have been reading lately. It seems to me a lot of uh, factual based, statistics based, knowledge based and mindset um, psychology. I'm wondering if you could yeah. talk about mindset um, as it relates to the workplace and how, how important it is to have, I guess, the quote unquote, the right mindset. Yeah, now I think it's that's a great question, Rick. Mindset, I think, is very foundational to our existence. Um, I did this research on speed to proficiency, and I approached 70 world-class organizations. And I asked them that what are the factors that basically pull you down? I mean, why you can't gain the speed when, when you are struggling with it? So their answer was all very simple. It's all about mindset. Because people have this mindset, their limiting belief at the workplace, that will typically pull them back. 
And in, in certain cases, people put this kind of uh, uh, boundaries around them that I can't do it or I am not the best person to do this. So there are ways, uh, you know, uh, in which that mindset get developed in our corporate uh, circle and the way we work. And mindset also originates from culture because sometimes the organization culture is very rigid. And when organization culture does not give you that flexibility, it shapes your mind in yeah. certain way. Many organizations call those as core values. But uh, what happens is that uh, when you emphasize core values too much, you have no room for fresh air. And that creates your own kind of mindset. Now, some may argue that's great mindset. Some may just live with mediocre kind of mindset. But yep. mindset is there whether or not they realize. And more often, changes do not happen in organization because of mindset. And we're going to take a very deep dive into your latest book shortly. Um, but I'd love to uh, go back a little bit just for the, I guess, the context of the call and learn what your typical day looks like. Is it is it uh, up early? Are you an early riser? Uh, by nature, I am not. But by job, <laughs> I'm forced to. <laughs> yeah, My virtual meetings uh, start early in the morning. So that's the reason I need to kind of wake up. But uh, if I was uh, given a choice that I don't have any virtual meetings, then I wouldn't like to wake up early. So, uh, But I am a late night owl. I can yeah, uh, wake too. up, uh, stay awake until 2 a.m. So I work pretty late at night, but uh, waking up early is a... It's a, it's a challenge for me. <laughs> I'd love to learn a little bit about how technology plays a part in uh, in speed within the workplace because I know it does. Um, is there a is there a place for technology and 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 what do you talk about in terms of technology inside your latest book? Yeah, all right, a good question. Um, when I was doing research, I uh, approached, as I said, best in class organization, and I was uh, my. Question was pretty simple that, okay, how did you speed up the employee development? And I was focused on the broader strategies and practices they have. Interestingly, uh, I figured out there were 200 different kind of technologies that's being used in different contexts. Because organizations' uh, size matters, right? Because yep. some organization can invest heavily on one kind of technology. Some other organization may not be able to invest that heavily. So um, when I kind of looked at those technologies and uh, then I kind of figured out they were having five different kind of technology they were using. And recently, I presented uh, a keynote uh, at one of the conference talking about how technology speed up. And uh, what it seems like is, particularly in today's context, in the pandemic and also in the post-pandemic, technologies are going to play a big role in speeding up proficiency. But uh, here is the caveat. Most of the technology in corporations, those which they implement, those are meant for efficiency. That means those are meant for tracking people, those are meant for tracking the work, and the whole goal of those uh, uh, technologies uh, is to speed up the work, is to make the work more efficient, maybe eliminate certain manual work. Most uh, likely the technologies are never bought with the goal of speeding up the employee development. So when we talk about speeding up employee development or speed to proficiency, uh, it, different set of technologies need to be implemented. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the technologies are purchased by a set of people who are never gonna be the end user of those technologies. 
because the end users are employees working for certain managers. So there is a little bit disconnect there. But to answer your question, yes, there are set of technologies that really work wonderfully. Some uh, great example have lately come about is augmented reality based uh, headset, which are actually eliminating the training altogether. Yep. It provides the uh, ability to employees to learn on the go right in front of the their machine or equipment and they can learn step by step uh, through the network of coaches so those are the amazing technologies meant for speeding up the development i remember um, many years ago um, being a quality manager in um, robotics and automation i was always fascinated by the ability to remove human beings from the equation and they did it very, very effectively, very efficiently and proficiently. Um, in terms of um, the types of training that uh, you are seeing, there will always be an element of humans in a process, won't there? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, human element is always there. So part of the guidance which I give to executive is this. I say, if you are going to have technologies, technology can definitely make a lot of things efficient. And uh, historically, what has happened is that uh, we have taught our employees uh, all kinds of skills, all range of skills. So what we do is we stuff our training program too much because we also uh, add a lot of just, just in case event. Maybe this happened, then you're going to need this skill. So we teach them too much. So what happens is we teach them so much, their time to proficiency is so long. Now, that was okay, maybe in industry 3.0. But in industry 4.0, it's a different equation. Mm. Already the technologies which are coming in industry 4.0 are meant for efficiency. Those are meant for doing the task which a human used to do. But yeah. what we are now saying is machine can do it more accurately, faster, efficiently, and uh, the outcome can be much faster with those kind of technologies. So we should reserve human judgment for the things which humans can do better more emotional judgment, more situational judgment. Yep. We're talking about more critical thinking. We're talking about more complex problem solving where human involvement is the key. So that we should reserve for human and we should train our employees on those humanistic skills while machines can do a lot of things automatically. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm wondering, is there ever a time, uh, Dr. Atri, where um, slowing down is important as, as it is speeding up? Should there be a balance? Yeah. Yes, you said it right, Rick. In fact, that is the foundational principle of my book, Speed Matters. Um, there are two kinds of speeds, if you see. Uh, in today's world, what uh, most organizational leaders they will do is they will push for harsh boundaries. They will push their employees to get the things done quickly. And there's a mad rush about speed. And uh, that kind of uh, um, strategies where you push for the timeline, when we look for the dates, when we look for completion of the projects and uh, tasks quickly, that is a short-term advantage of speed. It gives an impression that we have the speed, but that speed is not long-term. It doesn't give any competitive advantage. But the speed we are talking about, what really matters in organization is when you give the employee the ability to be able to do the thing first time right, consistently, reliably, repeatably. So when they reach that stage, what happens is the speed, what you gain compared to your competitor is long-term. And of course, with that kind of speed, it is gonna take you uh, go to that particular point of first time right 
a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. It may feel like going slow in the beginning. But what happens is what we're saying is if you build your employees and workforce to go there, you don't have to rework. Your customer satisfaction right on the first transaction is higher. Your customer loyalty is higher. So you get a competitive edge compared to your competitors who might be still focusing on uh, completion of tasks quickly. So you, you said it right. Uh, that is another way of saying go slow, but go first time right. And that's the speed you're going to gain in the long run, which is going to stay with you forever. That's incredible insight. Thank you so very much. Now, I'm wondering, in terms of uh, all of this work, now, um, when you're training a group of people, is it, what are the, what are the boundaries? Are they, are they um, better off learning about systems as well? Do you, do you train them how to be proficient in a certain way? You talked about doing it um, the right way first time, every time. Is, is there a focus on systems and process control? Yeah, that's part of that one, but it depends upon the job role. Uh, Systems and processes are definitely there. Uh, So the way I kind of divide, there are two kinds of skills. One kind of skills we call input skills. Input skills are all the system, processor, technologies, tools, what you're going to need to be able to do your job. But then there are what we call output-focused skills. Output-focused skills are your primary job role. Just to give you an example, um, in pandemic, we have seen it uh, quite a bit. A professor's job is to teach students. And that's the output focus skill. That's the primary skill. Whatever happens on the technology space, doesn't matter. That skill is never going to change. That's going to stay stationary. That means once you master that, how to teach people, it's going to stay forever with you. Because then you will be consistent, you will be reliable, you will be repeatable, your performance will be proficient. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, there are technologies. In pandemic, during pandemic, they were struggling to use Zoom, many of them. But that doesn't take away their ability to be able to teach students. But then today is Zoom. Maybe tomorrow this is going to be new technology. Maybe someday we're going to use holographic technologies to teach our students. So input skills keep changing. And what we're saying is, if we perfect our employees on the output focus skills, they're going to stay relevant much longer. But what happens is that mistake happens is we spend too much time training them on input focus skills. But input focus skills is where your industry 4.0 can replace with machine. There are a lot of things you can delegate to somebody more uh, and you can offshore a lot of things. You yep. can outsource a lot of things. So these, these side of the input skills can be automated, can be outsourced, can be done differently. You can possibly can hire a technology intern who can help you with a lot of processes, but you can't replace the skill of teaching when it comes to a job role of a professor. So I hope I can divide yeah, these absolutely. two buckets of skills, right? No, I can so, understand. This is a very deep um, conversation that we could have that could go in many directions, Dr. Atri, and I yeah. do appreciate it. Um, I'd love to learn for small businesses, medium-sized businesses, um, that they may not have, I guess, the skill sets or the resources or experience to develop training. How do, how do, how do they go about that? Uh, good question, Rick. And I think that's the biggest challenge during the pandemic and post-pandemic. Post-pandemic, mm-hmm. it's going to be much more crucial because uh, we have seen that during pandemic, many of these small business owners, they got a hard hit. 
many of them actually lost clients and uh, several of them they were never trained for speed so what has happened is they have lost their market share they have lost their positioning so in post uh, post uh, pandemic era they they will have this challenge to recover back their market share and the client and their positioning so part of this one what we're saying is only way you can do right now is speed and the speed we are talking about here is how fast you build the skill set of your employees so that they are consistent they are reliable they are doing first time right ahead of your competition but then it's a big big equation we are talking about here large organization can afford to put uh, millions of dollars a whole lot of resources to make that happen but uh, for uh, small business owners what my recommendation is that uh, you have to build something called speed enabling ecosystem now what i mean by speed enabling ecosystem is use what you already have your people your team member if you're a small team they still going to need to work with the managers they still need to work with the environment what you have set up they still need to work with the team because they don't work in isolation and they still work with some of the expert either internal to your uh, small business or external it could be consultant and otherwise and most importantly you also may have certain technologies or performance support system which you use so what we're saying is now all these elements together make the ecosystem this is already there only thing is that uh, you possibly never leverage it very well so now what we're saying is that uh, um instead of training your employees up front can you change your technology in a way which allow them to learn on the go when they need it so that yep. their time in the beginning is invested on more critical skills something which i can download on the go when i'm what are uh, talking to client i don't need to learn it up front so that saves me time yep. when i save my time i'm faster that's number 1 Number two, what we are saying is, in that ecosystem, you always had managers for your teams. You may have one or two or three supervisors, depending upon how big your business is. Those supervisors are always there. So instead of you know holding them accountable only for operational details of the business, hold them accountable to take deep interest in employees' development. it makes the whole difference when managers sit with employees say hey how's your how you going uh, i mean are you facing any challenges should i give you this assignment that's going to help you uh, learn whatever you learned to apply it in that context so it makes the whole difference because now employees feel that my manager is with me so that pushes them forward uh, quite uh, a big time and that we have seen uh, if everything is equal in terms of resource cash and everything managers can be the biggest enablers or they can be the biggest disablers of speed so that's the you know they they are the core the of the ecosystem right so yeah. uh, what we're saying it now is leverage them you already have them yes and i you talked about workplace culture before and i had something come to mind um oftentimes employees will feel that like they've just been given more work more content to consume um there's two parts to this question should they be um doing a, a doing some sort of verification and validation of their training at the end of um of their training to see that they've actually learnt the skill that's necessary and how do you get um workplace teams to embrace training really embrace yeah. it oh, that's that's a good question so in my research uh, what we figured out is that uh, managers 
on uh, in the organization those organizations who are already successful in mm-hmm. speeding up their employees uh, time to proficiency they had different kind of behavior and part of that behavior was not that okay you have uh, completed your training now i'm going to give you the projects which will help you apply those skills but they actually took interest and involvement even before the beginning of the training they sat with training designer they sat with the trainer what exactly you're going to teach my employees this is exactly my challenge what you be able to incorporate that and that's where a lot of thinning happened thinning in the sense that's where they say this is not relevant i don't need my employee to learn this my employee need to uh-huh. produce this and these are the skills which is which are necessary so now what happens is the discussion happens with, driven by the manager now manager dictates what really his employee would need to learn and then also part of the some of the managers even sat during the first half day of the training program now imagine when you as a manager sit with your employee in the same training program employee would know that you care about what's really going to make them successful so now you don't flood them with a uh, irrelevant training yeah. and part of that one as a manager you also decide that you know this is purely content there is it's all memory based i don't want you to learn this this one you can download using a smartphone tablet or other uh, technologies you can learn on the go i want you to learn the skills which are the foundation to your outcomes Thank you very much for sharing. I'm wondering about the, I guess, the modus operandi. Is it uh, primarily video um, nowadays or is there a text-based component? What's the best modalities for teaching? Uh, I think there is no one uh, method that can work um, because a human mind uh, is very complex. We can't really predict what kind of uh, information is going to be better in which way. People learn differently. Differently. Uh, yeah. but, but the thing is that if you've got complex data, uh we definitely have to put it in paper and uh, but if you have something which you only need to listen and absorb possibly video or audio based method can work better uh, but in reality what we are saying is don't stick to one method if you are learned an information or a skill uh, in certain mode then try out a different mode you got to need to kind of watch video even if you have read a text so what happens is when you absorb the information process the information using all your senses it get encoded deeply into your mind and when you need it you can reproduce it and use it so that's also the key to the proficiency what how many different channels you are using to get these skills encoded in your brain what an incredibly uh, talented individual you are to have all this knowledge. It's taken you so long to combine all of this. You've obviously taken the time to write, I think it's more than 20 books now. Um, I'd love to just touch on that briefly. What are some of the topics that you touch on throughout your series of books? I write books on a different uh, aspect. I'm not uh, just focused on professional. I also write on personal. Yep. Because my my belief is this: as a human, we are multi-dimensional. We carry a lot of our experience in our life. We have been son uh, in our life. We have been father in our life. We have been friend in our life. We are spouses, and a lot of different roles we play in our life at oh, different yeah. point. We are not just managers or leaders. So that's one part of the identity. What the work we do. 
But away from work, we have a lot of other personal things that shape us, our multidimensional personality. So I pick different pieces from my personality and convert into books. I have written books on poetry. I have written uh, books, uh, huge uh, coffee table books uh, containing uh, hand-drawn portraits, uh, paintings. Uh, right? And uh, then I have also written books on leadership. I have written uh, books on uh, training and learning. And uh, now I am more focused on writing the books about uh, speed and how do you accelerate your path. Um, but on the go, there are some books I'm preparing, which are more about uh, uh, coaching new author. How do you write a world-class book? So I basically touch upon different uh, part of the personality, what I do best, and yep. then I try to capture that in form of books. So my books are multi-genre. No, that's wonderful. It's, it's, uh, it's better to leave the knowledge that you've attained throughout your life rather than try and take it with you when you're gone, isn't it? I, um, yeah. I'm wondering if you just could, if uh, we're getting to the pointy end of the call now, I was wondering if we can spend a few moments talking about, uh, firstly, just very briefly, your speaking. How has the, uh, I guess, the pandemic global situation affected that? Is it starting, are, the, are doors starting to open up again? Uh, I think uh, it, uh, it's contextual. It depends upon uh, which country you are based in. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the countries like Singapore, where uh, the you know the impact is not that big. Uh, of course, the international borders are are still closed. Yes, um, there is a lot more opportunity. Things are opening up. Virtually, it has been opened ever yep. since from the day one of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But the in-person event for uh, you know speaking event, uh, those are coming along now. Excellent. A little bit restricted in terms yep. of uh, you need to follow a lot of protocol and there are a lot of uh, logistics involved. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's coming along it's well. Coming along. But I think uh, some of the countries have already opened up the live events. I can imagine how, uh, how excited people are to come and see you and I can't wait uh, for people to have that opportunity once again. Now, um, can we talk about Speed Matters, the book, just uh, very briefly in terms of is it a cover-to-cover read or is it more of a resource book that you would go, to, go back to and what will people find inside this wonderful book? Uh, I wrote this book specifically for top uh, leaders, CEOs and executives. Um, to educate them about how they can go speed savvy for the times to come. So in this book, I have integrated both research insight and business wisdom together. The book itself is a result of research with 70 best-in-class organizations. Uh, During that, I approached 85 world leaders from seven countries. These were the leaders for whom speed mattered a lot as a competitive weapon. We have seen that, you know, a lot of uh, organizations have struggled during COVID-19. Um, but at the same time, a lot of other organizations, they have fast-tracked. They have accelerated uh, their implementation. But uh, my context for this book was that why the timing was very important. Because after the pandemic is o- over, several mm-hmm. organizations will struggle to recover their market share, revenue, or customer. So they yeah. need to master speed. So that leadership thought process is what I covered in this book, hoping to make that speed as priority for those who want to stay relevant in times to come. So in this book, I talk about how to prioritize time to proficiency metrics of their teams and how leaders can bring that language of speed in their organization. So I have shared a lot of alarming numbers because more often leaders don't know 
how long does it take for their employees to develop? So from different industries, I have compiled the number. I've shown them that how alarming those numbers are. And then I have also shown that how much a reduction is possible, how much speed is possible in different contexts. And when you do that, what kind of business benefit you're going to get in terms of uh, revenue, in terms of retention, in terms of customer uh, satisfaction and uh, other business KPIs. So that's uh, the complete uh, about 300 pages of book, a lot of information and mainly meant for CEOs to open up their eyes or the founders of companies to open up uh, to that idea that I never thought about that. Recently, I just uh, kind of delivered a keynote at a very large conference and the the chief uh, human resource officer said, you know what, this makes so much sense. But I wonder why I never paid attention to this ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's an education, it's an education yeah, look, gap, I would say. It's an amazing uh, piece of work that you've put together. You're doing some incredible work and it's a credit to you. And thank you very much um, for all of that. Now, when people want to um, find you, I guess, where are they going to go and where can they buy this book? Uh, this book is available in all the booksellers, uh, retailers uh, across the world. But uh, I guess a lot of people these days buy at the Amazon. Mm-hmm. So the book is available in Amazon. It's available in paperback as well as library edition. Very beautiful one, jacketed, hardcover book. Very so nice. mostly, most executives typically like those kind of books, uh, which uh, they can keep it on their shelf. So mm-hmm. it is, this book is designed from that angle. So um, in Amazon, uh, readers, uh, the listeners can go ahead and buy it. Just uh, need to search uh, Speed Matters by Dr. Raman, and uh, it will be there. Fantastic. And uh, um, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, if they want to touch base with you uh, at Expert X, they will go to speed2proficiency.com? Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit of a hard to, uh, you know, remember website, but they can, they can actually go to ramanka3.com. That's my okay. name website, and yes. it's going to lead them to Expert X automatically. So uh, that's the best place to reach me. Thank you so very much. Now, if uh, every, every, anybody who's on the call today is looking to get uh, their hands on this wonderful content and to learn more from Dr. Archery, I'll be making sure that the links are available below this post. No matter where you see it, you will definitely find those links back to Dr. Archery. And with that being said, thank you so very much for joining me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you so much, Rick. It has been my pleasure. Really appreciate uh, um, and more uh, uh, more so I would like to appreciate your research skills. You have deep dived into my profile and your questions were wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.